Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, is a very common scripture, and um, I actually want to try to focus on uh, a part that if we're not careful, I think we can miss out in this scripture. But um, before I do that, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Adam. Uh, your pastor is a very, very good man, and uh, I appreciate him. So I, when he came into the church, um, his his wife, Taya, and, and my older sister were very, very good friends. And so I, uh, Pastor Adam was like my my big brother at the time, and, and you know, I was 13, 14. That, that's why I was in his wedding. And um, I backslid when I was 16, and um, for a few years, I was just real up and down. Sometimes I'd be in the church doing well, and then I'd go out and in and out. <clears throat> but he was vital in uh, bringing me back to the church when I was 19 and just really followed up on me and really cared for me. And, um, and if it wasn't for, I mean, uh, uh, many people, but, but especially him, if it wasn't for him being willing to, you know, invest himself in my life, I wouldn't be saved. And so I'm always grateful for, for you, Adam. And, and I really do appreciate you. Okay. So I love football. Football is my favorite sport. It's my favorite sport to play. Uh, it's my favorite sport to watch. I enjoy it. it it's, strategy and it's warfare and it's gridiron toughness and, it, and it's an amazing sport <clears throat> but during football there's this one goal that everyone's fighting for and that is to score a touchdown to score a touchdown if you don't know much about football I'll try to help you a touchdown is when you take the football your team drives down the field and they get into the end zone they cross that goal line they make it into the end zone, and that is called the touchdown. And that's what everybody is fighting for. That's how you score points and win the game. And normally, the people, the players that score the touchdown would be like the running back. This is the guy that the quarterback would, he's you know normally a tall, skinny guy. He gets the ball. He gives it to a running back. The running back grabs it, carries it, and runs it. Everyone tries to tackle him. Or a wide receiver, the quarterback will take the ball and he'll throw it to a wide receiver who's running down the field. He'll catch it. Normally, these are, we call them skill positions. And these skill positions are normally the guys that score the touchdown and therefore the ones that sort of get all the accolades. They're the ones that get all of the praise. They're the ones that everyone wears their jersey. I can name some people, Kurt Warner, Larry Fitzgerald, or for the older guys, Steve Young and Jerry Rice. We could talk about Barry Sanders or Walter Payton. These are the men that we all cheer for. These are the guys that, you know, we, we, we think are doing the best and, and they're the ones that are accomplishing the most. But anybody who's actually played football would all be willing to tell you that if there's actually some men that aren't named, these are men who you probably won't see people wearing their jersey number or shouting their praise, but these are actually the most vital positions and players in the game of football, and these are the linemen. 
These are the men in the front, we would say in the trenches. They're the ones that never really probably ever will touch the football. They're the ones beating each other up. They're the ones blocking and giving up themselves in order for the running back or the wide receiver or the quarterback to score. And in our text we're about to read, we, we read the scripture and a lot of times it's, it's preached about how beautiful it is to pre- preach the gospel. But if we're not careful, a lot of times we'll overlook this really small detail in the text. And this is what I want to highlight and focus on. And that is the people that send these men and women who preach the gospel to the nations. Let's read Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good or glad tidings of good things. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to preach the gospel across the world that you've given us this, the the blessing of, of, of being able to do this Zoom meeting. I'm praying that even though I'm not there, God, that, that these words would go through the computer into this auditorium and that you would touch men and women's hearts. God, that you would encourage people, that they're a part of something powerful, that you would encourage them to play their role and to do their part and realize how important they are in this overall uh, a plan of destiny for the lost and the broken. We pray, God, that you'd use us to save the lost in these last days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I talked in football about how there's a mission. The mission is to try to cross the goal. There, there's, one, there's a fight to take the football and to cross the goal line. That's how you score. That's how you win. That's the mission. That's the focus of the team. Well, in our church, in our fellowship, we also have a mission. That is reaching the lost. In our text, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everything that we do as a fellowship, everything that we do as a church is for the lost to be saved. This is our goal. It's our marching orders. It's actually a command from God, and that is to save the lost. We know in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, you can probably all quote it. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized, what? Will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. So this has been our fellowship vision for 50 years. Think about this. Every revival, every movement of God over the millennia has been focused on the lost. Evangelism, discipleship, and church planting is our focus as a fellowship. We are in a fight for souls. This is our main focus. This is our main thrust. This is what we put out of all of our energy, all of our uh, uh, attention, all of our focus on is that is the lost. There are many scriptures that refer to a fight or a battle or war that we're involved in. And there is a need for us as men and women of God to gain dominion, to go into a land and proclaim the kingdom of God. Dominion has to do with a battle, and there's this fight, there's this struggle that takes place to help and save the lost. 
You, you can't go into a nation and liberate a people. I'll talk about World War II here in my second point. But if we were to try to go and rescue these lost souls, these lost men and women, it's impossible unless you have some sort of dominion. And dominion takes a fight. And a fight requires more than just one or two people. It has to do with spreading the gospel. And this is our goal. This is our mission is to spread the gospel. <clears throat> we, there are religious organizations that build schools or orphanages. That's good. It's very admirable. It's very honorable. They give um, medical help. There, there's a, uh, if you've ever heard of the mercy ships, I, I believe they're called. These are these ships with doctors who dedicate their time to go and and, and they, they donate their time and their effort to be able to go to the, some of these nations and offer medical care. This is admirable. This is honorable. This is a good thing. Uh, digging wells in Africa or, or you know, you're giving medical help in India. These things are very admirable. They're very honorable. But what good is a well? What good is an orphanage? What good is medical help for these people if they're not saved? What good is a well for a, for a community uh, if all these people are dying and burning in hell because of their sin, these are admirable accomplishments. But we as a fellowship, if you're new in, in this place uh, this evening, if, you're, if you've never had an experience with this fellowship, we're called, the Bible says, to a better thing, and that is to save souls. So in our text, we see that there's this list of hows. You know, how can this happen? How can that happen? Or it's basically saying, by what means are we to save the lost? Or in what manner do we go about doing this? It says, how can somebody repent if they've never heard the gospel? I mean, that it, obviously, how can anybody ever know to repent of sin that they're not aware of? We, we're not going to these cities or nations of the world and teaching power of positive thinking we're teaching and preaching the gospel repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand but how do they hear that gospel unless somebody a man and a woman is willing to say you know what i maybe i've got wonderful life here in america i've got you know a comfort and and and, and i'm pursuing my own future and my own plans but you know what i'm willing to put that on hold or i'm willing to sacrifice that to go into this nation to preach that gospel. But, and this is what I want to focus on, that's all well and good to find a good couple, a, 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 a couple that says, I want to go preach the gospel. I, I remember pioneering in, in Houston, Texas, and we had a, you know, a couple of good couples. They wanted to preach the gospel. And I said, that's good. That's fantastic. But we need to build this church to facilitate that. And you need to help me to build this church so we have the, 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 the uh, resources and the people behind you to launch you. And what I want to focus on is that we, we might have the, the desire. Maybe, someone, maybe there's somebody in there this evening that says, I want to go overseas. I want to preach the gospel. But we can't unless there are people who would say, I want to stay and support and send these people. I think about the Chandler congregation, and, and I'll, I'll talk about that, but just how many people say, you know what, it's, I'm not called to preach, but that doesn't mean that I'm not involved in this overall mission. I have a very vital role to play. You know, this requires boots on the ground. You know, we live in a time where there's a lot of auto automation involved in war, right? Uh, you know, you guys are there. You're, you're near a lot of military bases. I'm sure maybe some of you there have served 
But, you know, there's drones, there's missiles, there's cyber warfare and things like that. But war requires an invasion. You know, drones are good, but you always have to have boots on the ground. You have to have infantry. You have to have tanks and artillery and men, people there with guns fighting the enemy. And we can't lose sight of the fact that evangelism is a person-to-person thing. We can't hope to evangelize through social media. We can't hope to evangelize through the internet. This is wonderful. I'm preaching like like almost halfway across the earth. I'm I'm in I'm in the southern hemisphere and I'm preaching the gospel. This is cool, but this isn't gonna this isn't what God's plan is for evangelism. Evangelism requires one-on-one. You know, discipleship requires a one-on-one. It requires a person. And church planting and missions require a person to be involved. So we have to stop and think that there, there's a big question mark on what we're doing here. You know, that, that the mission is at stake is that there are people every moment, every few seconds that are dying in these countries, dying in their sin. There are people whose lives are at stake. If you, if you haven't listened to it yet, I would encourage you, you can go to uh, the live stream of um, the Prescott Conference that was just a few weeks ago. And Pastor Greg preached a masterful sermon. And, and I don't say the word masterful lightly, but it just this urgency that, listen, people are being lost in their sin. And somewhere we have to have this urgency. We need to send. We need to get as many human beings we, we can't send out mailers. We can't send out emails. We can't just make cool videos on YouTube. We need to send a human and a, you know, a man and his wife and his family. We need to send them to these places where there are lost people. The Bible says that there is a need for laborers. It says, pray for more laborers. Many are called, few are chosen. And what this is saying is, listen, there's a question mark on if we're going to evangelize the world. So often we just think, oh, you know, it's, it's just going to happen. God's going to do a miracle. God's a, he is, but he needs to use a person. And that person needs to be sent. And in order to be sent, we need people to send. There's a need for people to say, I am willing to send. I am a part of missions. Listen, every person this evening that's listening to these words, you are a part of missions. You might say, no, I'm new to the church. I'm just trying to figure out my own salvation. Listen, you have a role to play. Everybody is very important. The issue is we need everybody. You know, something we all need to realize is without support, men can't fight. You know, I said that discipleship, evangelism, discipleship, and church planting all require a person. Well, what good is that if that person's not where he needs to be or she needs to be? You know, what good is it to say, oh, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to fight, but you're stuck here. You know, um, imagine if, you know, we had all the resources available to go fight a war and to go liberate a country, and yet we're all just sitting in America. Imagine we've got millions of tanks or millions of helicopters or millions of guns or millions of men willing to fight. What good are they if they're all stuck here in America and can't make it to these nations to liberate the people? You know, we can consider World War II 
You know, millions of men were fighting in a war to liberate a, a world of tyranny and destruction. Imagine all these men saying, I'm willing to go and fight. I'm willing to die, not just for my country, because at the, at the time of World War II, you know, there's a lot involved. And I know we were attacked by Pearl Harbor, but ultimately we were kind of neutral at first in the war and kind of taking care of our own self. But then all of a sudden it got to the point where people said, yeah, I'll go to Europe and I'll fight. We realize what's at stake here. And there was this, this sense of urgency that, you know what, I need to be involved in this fight. And, and so then we had these men that said, I'm willing to go, but there was the need for people to support them. I don't know if you guys know, there's, <clears throat> there's a um, cultural icon named Rosie the Riveter. And you're, you're, you may be pro, um, you know, familiar with her. A lot of times she was on stamps or you might see posters. It's a woman, she's got sort of a red bandana on and kind of like blue blue coveralls and she's kind of standing in this strong pose it says something like we can do it but Rosie the Riveter was was a, a cultural icon and she was used to encourage women to get involved in the support role to help fight in this war you know men were off fighting in the war world war ii there was a draft and many you know hundreds thousands millions even men uh were were off fighting in war and so there was a need for people to get involved and in this support capacity and so these women begin to work in factories and they begin to make planes and tanks and and the bombs and and the guns and the bullets and everything that these men needed to go use in battle you know it was um a a real struggle it was a, a real sacrifice you think about for these women who at the time were probably you know during that era the beginning of the 20th century, more than likely, you know, these women were homemakers. It wasn't, you know, very common for them to be working manual labor, just like probably today. And so there was this need and they said, you know what, I'm, I'll do that. I'm willing to go and support these people. I'll go into a factory and I'll labor and I'll give myself because there are people out there. They realize that there's this cause. There's, there's this cause that they were, that they were supporting. You know, families on the field, myself, I, I mean, actually, it's kind of funny because uh, as you were doing song service, I'm looking at the screen and I get an email. Bling! And the, the email is Chandler emailing me, asking me about how much money I need. And, and it's kind of funny because they're asking me, you know, and I see the, 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 the title of the email and it's like, oh, budget questions. You know, they're, they're having to send me thousands of dollars. Thousands upon thousands of dollars and beyond finances is that there is prayer and there's all of these different things, but a family on the field, myself included, or your pastor, Pastor Dragoon was there in Bulgaria for a time. And all these families, we desperately, desperately need you to get involved. Consider this with me. And on D-Day in the battle of Normandy, there was 160,000 troops all stationed uh, they're in England, and they're about to invade the Germans. They're in, in uh, France, in, the, in the, uh, the shores of France. And these men were willing to fight. They were willing to die. But listen to some of these statistics with me, and just bear with me. It says that there was a total of 18 million tons of supplies shipped from the U.S. to Europe. 18, like, honestly, that, that's hard to calculate. 18 million tons of supplies shipped to the Europe from the U.S. So each day, it says, 
a soldier needed six pounds of food. That's a lot of food if you think about it. I was like, I don't know what those guys are eating. Maybe they're some big burritos or something. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what they're eating, but six pounds. I don't know what the, I don't know. They needed 96 bullets. They needed 20 liters of water. And it says other things. It says that every two weeks, they would have to be resupplied with new kits and new gear. And it says each month, this equated to about a ton of supplies per soldier, a ton, 2000 pounds of supplies for each soldier each month. And then it says that every yard, so every three feet that a soldier was to march or try to advance, he needed 18 personnel that would support him, including cooks, clerks, medics, mechanics, and all the like. So think about this, all of these men willing to fight, but yes, there's that one man with a gun firing, but behind him are 18 people supporting him, 18 you know, at the time of D-Day, the, the, the docks of France, they were all occupied by the Germans. So it was like, how do you get these supplies to these men? So there was this orchestration where they built, there was 45,000 workers and 60 tons of steel. And what they did was they, they well ahead of the attack, way before there was ever any assault on Normandy, they began to build these floating docks. And then they built this road from the floating docks to Omaha Beach, and that allowed them to send one truck every minute. They had 75 trucks, or, uh, and, uh, or excuse me, 75 ships, and they would send one truck per minute back and forth. I mean, th- like, think about that. Every minute, a truck loaded down with the supplies to help somebody. It's just telling us that we need everybody to be involved. You know, when I'm thinking about that, I was reading this and I'm realizing, you know, this, this just reminds me so much of Chandler. You know, uh, our mother church in Chandler, you know, your, your mother church. Here it is that every month they're just sending finances, but they're also sending prayers. They're also, you know, sending impact teams or, you know, words of encouragement. And, and, and they're, they're laying a hold of God and they're fasting and they're doing all of these different things. You know, it'd be foolish to think that, that a missionary couple is doing this just all on their own. It'd be foolish to think that launching a couple was just between a pastor and a disciple or a couple. That know that you guys, you are involved in this. The problem is we can easily lose sight of our importance in this overall mission. We can easily just think, I'm just a nobody. Imagine Rosie the Riveter. The, the idea was they were trying to express to these people that, no, each individual is important. Each person in a factory is important. Each gun that you make, each bullet that you make. So then my challenge to you is to understand how important each prayer, every time you pray, every morning when you wake up, I hope that Every morning, you would wake up and take time to pray and say, I'm involved in the, the, the overall mission of saving the lost. When I wake up and I pray, I'm, I'm praying for the missionaries. I'm praying for my pastor. I'm praying for my church and my brothers and, and, and the disciples that want to rise up. And, and I'm laying a hold of God because I'm a part of something very big. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 20. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation just a little bit softer on the ears. It says, yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, 
I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. So what is that saying? In, in essence, what it's saying is that there are these parts of the body that we all see and, and we think are, you know, just so important. They get more attention, you know, things like having, uh, you know, thick, beautiful, dark hair or, you know, for ladies having these exotic, beautiful eyes and, and they put makeup on and they want to have, a, you know, they even make little contacts that you can make your eyes blue or green and go, oh, look at these beautiful eyes. Or we think about a pearly white smile, you know, we all put the white strips in, you know, we want to go get braces and have the most beautiful smile. And this is what's important to us, chiseled abs. But truth be told, they're a lot less important and a lot less vital than the basic parts of the body, like let's say the stomach or the pancreas or the liver. Think about that. Who here would trade a a good, healthy pancreas for a beautiful smile or good looks i wouldn't right it, you need your pancreas it's it, you you know you don't have four of them you only have one i think right i should probably look that up and put that in my i'm pretty sure you only have one uh but you know like a liver who who here would give up a liver for good looks or beautiful hair nobody would You know, sometimes we look at these parts of the body as the most important. Let's consider church. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying that these things are necessarily less vital, but I will say this is more attention is given to these parts of the church. But let's be honest, they're not the most vital. Like, let's say a song service leader or, you know, maybe young disciples that can preach well or they're well-spoken. Or maybe you find, you know, sometimes what happens, a a nice, handsome, well-to-do couple comes in and maybe, you know, they kind of got their marriage in order already. They're not a mess like the rest of us. And, And so we look at them and go, oh, man, they're the important ones. They're the ones with the microphone. So they're the most vital. But let's be honest. You know what's more vital is people who pray, people who give. You know, people who fast, I, I, you know, I, I'm joking and, and try, uh, this is hard. I'm not going to lie. This is really hard preaching over live stream. I, you know, I want to try to like engage with you guys and I, I can't like reach out and, but um, I, I'm, tr- listen, I'm trying to be humble when I tell you this, but you know, I preached this revival and um, in a city and it, it just went really well. And, and the pastor was excited. The people were excited. I was excited. And I felt all good. And I'm joking when I say this, believe me, I'm joking, but you know, we're talking about the revival and it's like easy to get a big head and be like, man, that, that revival went well. And you're like, you know, that was, woo, man, did you hear when they were, when I said that thing and they were all like, woo, and everybody, and they came to the altar and then we prayed, wow, you know, but then come to find out they had prayed and fasted for three days the week before. And so it's like easy to think like, man, you know, that pastor, you know, if you're just some visitor that came to the church, you would look at the pastor up there preaching and say, man, he's got the anointing. He's got the goods. He, but truth be told, it was the church that was praying and they were fasting. You know, I got up and preached and just the Holy Spirit came down, but it wasn't anything that I did. Now, granted, I was praying, I was fasting, I was doing my part, but let's be honest, that church, 
They were digging in. You know, the, the church, sometimes it's these unseen. Nobody sees the liver. Nobody sees the lungs. Nobody sees the heart. All of these vital things that are taking place, but that's what's making the body work. You this evening, sometimes you might think, oh, I'm not important. Sometimes you give and you might say, nobody sees what you give. Listen, I've given and, and you've given. We, you know, we, we know that you give and sometimes people don't see the sacrifice. Sometimes people don't see you when you wake up at five in the morning. You've got work. You want to sleep in. That extra hour of sleep would be so wonderful. I know how it feels. You know, it gets cold out there and you're just like, man, my bed is so warm and I got to go warm up my car. But you do it. And you're willing to sacrifice. I know what it's like to not want to come to church at times or you just feel drained and, and on, you know, maybe a Wednesday night or even sometimes like tonight, it's a Sunday night. You're like, man, I'm tired. You're not at church already. And maybe you're just not feeling great, but you say, I'm going to be there. You know, if we're not careful, we look at some roles as more important than others. And so then we think that we're not, we're not vital. And so then the problem then is that we don't get involved. We think they won't miss me. If I don't come to church on Wednesday, it's not that big of a deal. I won't be missed because I'm not holding the microphone, but you will be missed. Now, I mentioned that in football, uh, some of the positions get the praise, but did you know that the second most, the second highest drafted, if, if you don't know what a draft is, it's where they take the college uh, the college football players and in the NFL they get to pick one by one each team gets to pick well obviously the best players are going to get picked first did you know the second highest drafted position in the NFL draft is an offensive lineman it's not a it, the first is a quarterback and the second is an offensive lineman you would think it's going to be all these guys that are doing all the all the, the scoring of the touchdown, but no, what does that say? That, that says that coaches have some wisdom that the most vital parts of that football team are those men in the front blocking and doing all of the grunt work. You know, it'd be like in, if I was to build a church, do I want the flashy disciple that can preach? No, I, I just want, I want the person that can pray. If we had a, you know, a church draft, who would you choose first? I, you know, I would rather take a, a, a mother that has, uh, you know, uh, that has to work and go through all that, but she prays or she gives. Think about the widow with the two mites. Give me the widow with the two mites over the religious Pharisee who can memorize the Torah, right? These people who behind the scenes, God sees their heart and uses these people. Not everybody with a microphone is always making as much impact as you might think, but behind the scenes. But if we're not careful, we won't see the importance and the impact that we make. And so then what happens is we don't get involved. We, do, we think that me just coming to church isn't important. Stop and think about this. When we have, uh, when we have um, concerts outdoors, you know, <laughs> listen, I come from the fellowship. I was born and raised in the fellowship. So <laughs> uh, just take this. Um, lighthearted when I say this, but we're not professional musicians. And, and our concerts aren't, you know, like, you can't compare them to Bon Jovi or Aerosmith, okay? Let's just be honest, you know, we go set up in a park, and, and I'll be honest, some of them, you're like, dude, this is just ghetto. <laughs> like, some of them, you're like, you know, you go to an impact team or something like that. And like, I had a band and we went and played a couple times. I'm like, dude, this is just ghetto, guys. Like, 
<laughs> this is bad, you know. I went. To, I've had. I have stories. Anyways, we we just have some funny stories, and the the idea though is that we're trying to draw a crowd. You know what draws a crowd? A crowd. You know, the other day, well, was, was, this was a while ago, but me and my wife we were driving around in downtown Chandler, and we saw this huge crowd of people. Now we're Christians, but we saw this huge crowd of people, and we look at each other like what's going on down there let's go see so we park and we jump out and we go walking down and we're like totally in the mix like what's going on well imagine what sinners would do if they see a crowd of people well the unfortunate thing a lot of times is when we go to have a concert or we go to have some sort of an event people just think well i'm that's not my ministry i'm i'm not the you know i'm not the singer i'm not in the sound ministry i'm not a drama person and so that they, they don't show up. And then what ends up happening is you have 50 blank open chairs and someone drives by and looks over and goes, wow, what a pathetic looking event. Why should I come? But imagine if all of a sudden they drive by and they say 50 people and they're cheering their hearts out and they're, you know, I'm not saying you have to dance, but you know, you at least look like you're interested in what's happening, even though I know you've heard those songs 50 times and you can probably say them by heart yourself. And it's maybe not the best, but you're just there acting like you're so excited. Woo! And then someone drives by and goes, man, what is going on over there? That's an example of how your involvement is important. It's an example that times when you don't want to wake up or times when you just feel like, you know what, I've been to all the concert scenes. What band is playing? I hate that question. I hate that question because I've been that band. (laughs) Oh, I've heard him 43 times this year. Or just, you know, like I get it. Sometimes we have bands and you're like, I'm not a big fan. Maybe you don't like rap music, but listen, what I'm trying to do is help you to understand that you have to, you, you're so important to the church, but beyond just your church is missions. You know, the church needs to grow. And, and as your church grows, you're able to support missions as a church. I, I, know, I would assume, and I'm, I'm pretty, I'm very confident that you guys are probably giving to missions. You probably have either a missions pledge or your pastor himself has committed to Pastor Campbell that some of the finances to your church goes to missions. I can almost guarantee it because I know your pastor. But many churches, that they're a part of what Chandler's doing, and what Chandler's doing is touching the whole nation. And your little part, every Saturday when you'd say there's an outdoor outreach, and you say, you know what, I'm going to go there, I'm going to be a part, I'm going to clap, I'm going to sing, I'm going to be a part of this, that's going to save the lost. That's going to missions. It's going to the overall mission to save people. Here's the problem is sometimes we overlook that and say, ah, I'm not going to be a part of that. Listen to this proverb and I'm going to finish up. I, I'm going a little bit long here, but listen to this proverb. It's, it's said to be a Japanese proverb, but I'm not sure. It says for, it says for the need of a nail, the horseshoe was lost. And for the need of a horseshoe, the horse was lost. For the need of the horse, the rider was lost. And for the need of a writer, the message was lost. For the need of the message, the battle was lost. And for need of the battle, the war and the kingdom was lost. All because of a little nail. Now think about that. 
because there was this nail that was missing, the, the, the blacksmith couldn't reshod the horse. And because there was no horse, the messenger couldn't send the message. And then because the, they, they missed the message, that they, they lost the battle. And because they lost that one battle, now a whole war, and now the kingdom is lost because of a nail. I, I don't want to oversimplify, but, but there's a reason why that, pop, that proverb sort of hits us. It's because sometimes maybe, maybe at this outdoor outreach, maybe because uh, of a lack of maybe this time where you should have given to world evangelism, or maybe the time, maybe because you're not praying for a missionary. It's like that missing nail, that it's like a butterfly effect, that it, it overall, it affects the overall mission of saving the lost. Listen, we need everybody's prayers. If there's anything that every single person in that place can do, it's pray. You don't have to, you don't have to be eloquent. Trust me, I, my, I'm embarrassed of the way that I pray, and I don't pray too loud because I'm not eloquent. I don't sound, I just talk to God. I just say, God, I, we really need your help in this situation. You don't have to stand up and, oh, God, we right now, we take dominion now. Don't have to pray like that but everybody can pray i remember pioneering in houston and and one of the exciting things about a church growing is that prayer room i remember i used to go in the prayer room all by myself and it was hard to try to get dominion for that service but then all of a sudden another person comes and another person and another person and then then all of a sudden there's this roar in the in the prayer room, and it's like, oh, we're doing business here, because everybody's in there playing their part. You know, you can think about the Bible says one will take a thousand, two will take ten thousand, not two thousand. This multiplying factor. I mean, imagine all the people. I, you know, I can count the people on the screen at least, and and it's like, well, if one will take a thousand, imagine the power, the power of multiplication that's in that building right now. You have the power, you have the ability, you have the goods, you have the resources right now to touch the nations. Who in there is the next missionary? Which couple in there says, I'll go to the nations? And how many there would say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of that. You start with prayer and, and you're giving and you're fasting. But sometimes we think, ah, oh, it's not that important. Like in the proverb, maybe the blacksmith says, oh, you know, this one horse, I will live, it'll be okay. No, it's not. Listen to this script or uh, this, um, uh, this uh, quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well <clears throat> that all the hosts of heaven and earth We'll pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Now think about that. You know, like I said, sometimes everybody, you know, we're clapping. You know, we just had conference in Prescott. There was the conference in, in October in Chandler, and everyone's clapping. Yay! But let's be honest. There are, there's people in the background that are supporting these missionaries. And all of heaven, maybe... Maybe on the outside, people don't see, people don't cheer, but the Bible says heaven sees. And heaven 
just like this quote Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's like all of heaven's looking down. Imagine, and Jesus highlights this. Think about the widow with the two mites. Jesus always was trying to highlight, look at these behind-the-scenes efforts. That's what I'm watching. God sees when you give to missions, and it's a sacrifice. God knows, and he hears when you're praying. And when we get to heaven, listen, like I'm, I just, I have this feeling we're going to get to heaven and there's going to be some people who are highlighted that we would never have thought. And I can name people in Chandler and I won't name them because it, you know, you don't, you don't know necessarily who they are. And I guess it's not important, but you know, I can name these people where it's like, they are so vital in the support role. And here's the thing that I, that I want to highlight is that we all share in the victory. You know, me and my wife, we're here in Lima, Peru, or we can name Robert and Rose, Marie, Hedegaard, and, and uh, Hector and Nicole Ortiz, and, and, you know, they're in Dominican Republic, all of the different Hispanic pastors, or Mel and Alicia Bianco, and, uh, you know, the numbers of pastors that were in India at one point, and, you know, they, they, there is, I, I'm not trying to diminish the role of a missionary. In fact, it, 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 it's, a, it's very hard. I'll be honest. I could give you some stories. Just the, the last couple of weeks that we've been here, it, it's already been a struggle, you know, and it, it is hard. And there is a sacrifice and there is a reward, but we share in that reward. You know, I, I, I'm not going to be your uh, Hector Ortiz or whoever your pastor, whoever's been a missionary. They, they are not, they're not the only ones that get the reward. In 1 Samuel, we find David, he's running from Saul and you know, we know the story. I won't belabor you with all of the, the background. I'm running out of time. But here is David. He's living in Ziklag. And while he's away at war, the Amalekites come and they overrun his city. They're going city by city. They're plundering. They're taking for themselves all of the goods. They're burning these cities. So they take David's family, all of these men's families, about 600 men. And they run off, they've plundered the city, they've taken his family, they've taken all of the goods, and now David goes and he begins to chase them. They're going to try to win back, and they need to get back their stuff. Long story short, some of the men couldn't finish. They had to stay, there was a river that they couldn't cross, and so David said, listen, you guys stay on this side of the river, protect all of our goods and all of our supplies, we're going to cross the river, we'll fight the Amalekites, and then we'll come back. They do. David and his men, they cross the river, they fight the Amalekites. Well, after they beat the the Amalekites, they realized, wow, we have more than just our own things that they had plundered, but also the goods and all of the supplies and and all of these things that, that they had taken from the other cities. So they come back to these men, and now they're going to begin to divvy up the plunder, and they're going to divvy up all of the goods. And some of the men said, hey, hold on a minute. There was these other men who stayed on the other side of the river. They didn't fight the battle, so they don't deserve any of the the riches. They don't deserve any of the extra stuff. They just get their family. That's it. All of this extra goods, all of the extra stuff, we will all see. So listen to what David said. And David is like a picture of Christ. He says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse number 23, David said, you must not do so with what the Lord has given us. He said, he has kept us safe and given us the army that came against us. Who would listen to you about this? The share of those who stay by the things will be the same, will be the same as the share of those who go to battle. They will share alike. He made it a law for Israel from that day to this. 
And what does that mean? It means that, listen, there are some that go and they fight and they, they, they fight and, and, and they win, they win victories, but just as important and just a, just as great a reward will be for those who stay and send is that, yeah, maybe some people, they get the claps that that's fine. And that's good. We, we do want to honor those who go. We do want to be excited about the men and women who do go and preach the gospel. I'm not belittling that. And I'm not saying that there isn't a reward. And I'm not saying that that isn't a precious and wonderful thing. The scripture says that. But I also want to give credence and honor and tribute and encouragement and challenge to you this evening that your role to wake up in prayer, to give, to show up on outreach, to give yourself. And even if it's hard, you show up to church. When you worship, you worship your heart out so that the presence of God can come. And all of these things add and add and like a butterfly effect, they snowball and they grow till next thing you know, you're touching the nations. You may not have launched a missionary now, but if you'll all right now begin to say, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of our future mission. I'm a part of the next missionary. If you'll all begin to give yourself, God will really, really bless and reward you just as he would reward anybody who's given up his life to go overseas and preach. And I just encourage you, don't, don't be discouraged or don't think that because you don't have a microphone in your hand, you're not important. You are. You're probably more important many times than the people who are applauded. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes this evening. I'm grateful for your attention. Before we move on, I do want to do one more thing, and that is I want to make a call for those who are not saved. I I mentioned in the beginning of our sermon that our main goal is that the lost be saved. Maybe you're here this evening and you're not saved. And I'm not asking if you attend church. I'm not asking if, you know, if your parents were religious. I'm not asking what your affiliation with or what your affiliation is, what religious group you belong to, and the question is, is your heart right with God? If you were to die tonight, would you make heaven your home? If you were to stand before God tonight, would you make heaven your home? If God was to look down at the condition of your heart right now, which he is, I mean, I I don't... I'm assuming the Holy Spirit is in that place. I can feel it here. The Holy Spirit would be pulling on your heart, exposing, showing you, you know, there's some things that just aren't right. And this isn't to condemn you. This isn't to, to make you feel like you're worthless. But in fact, actually to show you your worth is that you don't have to, you don't have to be that way. You know, there's sin in our life that, 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 takes away from the quality of life. It, it kills, it hurts, it eats away at you. You know, the sin of fornication or perversion or lying or greed or bitterness or envy, you know, that it hurts you. And so God is trying to highlight that. The Holy Spirit would highlight that to show you this is something that's hurting you. It's coming between you and God and, and, and blessing is a rightness with God favor or blessing is having favor with God is that God can look at you and you've got this right relationship there's nothing to hide you know think about paradise pastor Campbell puts it this way paradise think about Adam and Eve was 
that there was nothing they had to hide from God. But once they sinned, now all of a sudden there's this shame, there's this embarrassment. They're trying to they're trying to hide themselves and cover themselves, and then now there's they're separated from God. But but paradise is when God he he removes that sin, that separation, and brings you back where there's nothing to hide. Maybe you're here this evening, and you'd say, you know what? I've got things that I'm ashamed of, things that are separating me from God, things that, that I know aren't right. And I want to make things right with God. If you're here this evening, would you raise your hand? I, I can't quite see. So maybe re- raise your hand really high and say, you know what? My heart is not right with God. I've got things. And it, and it doesn't have to be murder and, and stealing and you've robbed a bank. Sometimes it's just jealousy or envy or greed. It's just this, this maybe you're, you're bitter at God or you're bitter at people. Bible says sometimes even your relationship with a brother can hinder your salvation. Maybe you're here this evening. You say, I need to pray. I need to ask God to forgive me. Would anybody lift your hand this evening? We just want to pray with you. Is there anybody this evening? Okay, we want to do one more thing. We want to open up the altars and give you an opportunity to come and pray. And I encourage you, if we can all stand to our feet, I want to encourage you to come to the altar and do business with God. And the question that you should ask is, God, where is my part in this? How can I be involved in the overall mission of saving the lost and the nations of the earth? And if you would come to the altar, we want to open up the altars. You can come and pray and just ask God to speak to you and encourage you and help you to realize your role. Listen, if you ask God to speak to you, he'll speak to you. He will. He'll speak to you. He'll encourage you. We'll pray together. We'll believe God. And um, I, I believe we'll, we'll, we'll sing a song together. All these pray. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.